Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Maths Teaching Podcast. Today, we're discuss- discussing MT286, and I'm talking to Jay Timotheus about his article, Should Pupils Enjoy Mathematics? Hello, Jay. It's great to speak to you in person rather than emails. We've been kind of emailing, haven't we? Um, yes. Yeah. And I need to let you know that your piece was a real favourite of the editorial board when we when we received it. And one member actually used the phrase entranced to describe Ooh. her emotions on reading it, um, which I, I thought was kind of appropriate for a piece that explores emotional responses to mathematics. Before we kind of get into that, can you just introduce yourselves for people who don't who don't know you? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm Jay. Um, I'm always uh, fascinated, fascinated that anybody wants to read anything I write. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a maths teacher, as you probably guessed, um, and I, my, my official role is I'm a director of maths for a multi-academy trust, uh, the Co-op Trust. Um, people might have different views on sort of multi-academy trusts and have, a, have preconceived ideas. Essentially, what I do uh, in terms of my day-to-day work is I work across a range of schools, mainly secondary, but I also work in primary schools. And I could be doing anything from actually uh, sort of working with new teachers, work with heads of department. I could be leading training sessions. I could be teaching. So it's very much about trying to um, support, support teachers and, and pupils at all different levels. So it's a very varied job. And people often say, where do you actually work? And I say, where, where's your, where, where are you based? I say, I'm based in my car, because that's how it feels. <laughs> um, and before that, you were a, a secondary maths teacher? Yeah. So my, my journey, I was thinking about really how to explain this. I feel like there are several, this might take a while, but there's okay. several sort of parallel sort of tracks I've been on through my sort of maths education career that brought me to where I am at the moment. Um, so I trained at Bur- I did my degree in maths at Birmingham. I trained on the PGC course Birmingham. Uh, completed that in '96. Um, so I was so on my, on my PGC course that was led by uh, Dave Hewitt, Pat Perks, yeah. Prestige, yeah. who were you know very much ATM people. And um, during that course, um, they did a bit of a prize draw to send somebody off to the ATM conference for the weekend for, 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 for three days was in those days. Um, and I didn't win the prize draw. Um, <laughs> and uh, to be honest, at that point in my life, I thought, who would want to spend several <laughs> days at Easter holidays going to an ATM conference, for goodness sake? And they came back and they were so infused by what they had learned um, that it was it was fascinating. Um, and actually, I think now I'm saying this now that, that the, the, the example in the in the piece I wrote in the article about triangle numbers was something they yes. at the conference, you see right with us so that was how i started off um i've been looking back i've, I've written a number of pieces for mt and my yeah. over the years and so the first one wrote was a couple of years of teaching using graphic calculators so these are the different parallel tracks then so in in some bizarre way one of the most useful things i ever did is as a career was was right for 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 micromath, which was my first sort of article way back when as, as a young teacher about using uh, graphic calculators yeah. in the classroom, teacher circle areas, I think it was. As a result of that, I got quite involved in sort of the community of practitioners that were developing the use of technology in the classroom. Right. So, um, Adrian Olno and Alison Clark Wilson, who's now yeah. at UCL. Um, we're doing quite a lot of work there. Bechter was doing quite a lot of work and they were pushing that forward. So because of that work I did then, at the time, um, 
a graphic calculator company, Text Instruments, invested a lot into the CPD in the UK. They funded sort of paid for training that used their calculators, yeah. but it was really good training, uh, which then led, um, I think, by Ros Hyde, who was worked for the MA at the time. Yeah. Um, so I got involved in one of these people. I was one of these people that went around from school to school and university to university running these training sessions. Right. And then Alison did two funded research projects when the TI Inspire calculator came out, which had built into it a spreadsheet and a, and a, a, um, a dynamic geometry and various other things that are all linked together, a stats package. And so I was part of those two projects. Right. At the same time, um, I was working my way up so that I'd been a, a, a maths teacher in one school for five years. I moved to another school. And in those days, they were the best practice research scholarships from the government. Yes, I remember those, yeah. So I did one of those at the University of Birmingham with Dave Hewitt. Yeah. I'm teaching learning algebra. So so that was, that was I read a lot of research. I'd not read that level of research before. Um, I started a master's course with Dave at Birmingham, which I never quite finished because I was always having family and <laughs> yeah. le eventually leading schools in, in special measures in challenging circumstances. So I was doing the IT stuff, doing a lot of work with Dave in conversation with Dave about, about that, reading all these papers. And that's when I came across Ferenc Martin's book, which was the foundations of what's now called variation theory. Yeah. And I was doing all this at the same time. Um, so along the journey, I sort of met quite a few people that just made me think very deeply about what I was doing. So I remember I remember quite a, a key moment where it was one of these research days uh, where, where all different teacher researchers were brought together by Alison and her team, where we're sharing activities we've done with in the classroom with technology. I've been doing a lot of reading about variation um, and, and that sort of that sort of stuff. And I sat there. And I had this epiphany moment because there was there were the, the activities that worked and yeah. had that sort of wow factor. We went, oh, that's clever. I really, really feel that. I really see that. Yeah. And it was the variation activities. It was the ones where through the technology, there was some change, some variance, and yeah. the key property went, oh, jumped out at you. And it was this epiphany moment where these sort of two strands sort of came together. Um. So, so yeah, I've just been privileged to work with some people yeah. along my journey. You've prompted my thinking and had a lot of conversations along the way. Um, I spent a few years working for a curriculum organisation before this job, uh, visiting a lot of classrooms. So yeah. I just feel like I've bumped into a lot of very helpful people on the way who've provoked me to think very hard. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's always fascinating that I, I think names names crop up and Dave's is a name, isn't it, that, that crops up in, lo in lots of people's background. And... For all of us, I think it's easy. It's easy to forget. So for you and for me, that there will be people who we've bumped into along their educational journeys, mm -hmm. and you're never quite sure what happens as a result of that no. bumping into and where they might they might take yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and occasionally you meet them. Yeah, you might meet you might meet these people later, or you might not. Um, but we kind yeah. of have influenced the, yes. the, the, the little ripples. Uh, yes. Going back to the to the the enjoyment, and you you kind of talked about emotional responses there in that in in that conversation and having epiphanies and things. And there's a kind of joy in an epiphany, isn't there? There's a power in that that epiphany. What inspired you particularly to write this piece about en enjo enjoyment? And kind of to phrase it as a question, I was interested that you phrased it as a as whether people should enjoy mathematics. Well. Um... I've been thinking 
for a while about about sort of I suppose there's a there's a there's a there's a trajectory that the that within England anyway that education is beyond at the moment and there's a real focus on knowledge and research and people's knowing things mm. and there's a lot of research around people's having success and I just felt that maybe since the pandemic particularly I don't know there's been a real sort of refocusing in schools around making sure that their curricula is really well sequenced okay and that people are revisiting past learning and they're getting things right and having success yeah I've got four children um who are in schools at the moment and they say school's really boring dad yeah. um and they're doing all these things and they're coming home and they're bored out the little heads and I thought well yeah something's not right here yeah we're focusing on success and the children my children uh, that's a very small sample i know speaking yeah. to math teachers <laughs> but, but they're, they're a bit bored yeah and i'm thinking well success has got to mean more than just getting things right what does that mean so that i suppose was the question you know should pupils enjoy it and because there's somewhere in the articles, this whole conversation about what we mean by successfulness. Yeah. Because I think there's an idea floating around that if you are successful, as in I'm getting nine out of 10, 10 out of 10, whatever, yeah. then I must be enjoying it because the success comes out of that. But that's not always the case. No. I don't think you can get nine out of 10 and still feel that you don't really get it. Yeah. And that, that I think is a real experience of, of young people sometimes so for me that was the question i was pulling out a little bit right i suppose if that makes sense. i think yeah it does make sense and I, i'll extend the sample by three which is my <laughs> grand by my, my grandchildren and it's kind of quite interesting now having moved on to that stage because i think i think i notice things about my grandchildren that i didn't necessarily notice about my own children just because I, I have kind of longer to just sit with them um, and maybe feel less pressure about their schooling than I did my own kids going through school. And the, the, the diff so I sat with Felix doing his homework yesterday, um, which was it was one of the it was it was a, a mass produced worksheet. I nearly used that. I nearly used the name of the place it had come Ooh. from. But I'm just managed not to do that. <laughs> Very pleased with myself. Um, and it wasn't about it wasn't about interpreting ta data tables. It was about doing addition of five digit numbers because the, the questions were posed about about five digit numbers. Um, and he just wanted to get through it and he could do it. And he's kind of quite happy now that he can do that. And he couldn't do that a, a while ago. The answers don't mean anything to him and he's not particularly interested in, in the answers. He's most interested in getting it finished. Then he can get on to, yeah. to something else. The week before, I took them to Math City in Leeds, which is right, yes. which is a really interesting place yeah. and a really good place to visit. And I, but I didn't quite know how what that it was him and Tay, his brother, who's five, and I didn't know quite how they'd react because they've not been somewhere like that before. Mm -hmm. um, I made which I thought was a kind of schoolboy error that we went to the Lego shop beforehand so I couldn't even use that as a, well if we stay here for half an hour you can have some Lego I kind of blew, blew that out but they absolutely loved it wow. and they went in and there was a big Soma cube to work on and they piled straight into that and they stuck with that for ages to work it out and then there's all sorts of puzzles and activities all around and they just moved around doing different activities and they they engaged with some and they started some and thought I don't like that I'm not interested in this I'll move on to something else yeah but they 
they were mathematicians for a good solid hour yeah and re- yeah. and enjoyed it yeah and i think probably learned more about doing mathematics yeah than they do quite often in mm-hmm. in school mm-hmm. and i was just interested that 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 they kind of were up for it yes yes um and if that yeah that felt like doing maths more than the homework yeah and and the 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 other piece in math, math in this issue of mathematics teaching which is stephanie the architect yes talking about doing maths in school yes and she clearly enjoys mathematics now and is clearly successful at mathematics because you can't be an architect without no. but mathematics but doesn't relate that to her experience at school no. really and and that that for me is at the heart of it and actually I think it's very important that you do enjoy maths and work on mathematics and 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 I suppose for me it's unpacking what that means. So I'll tell you another story that stuck yeah. with from my class where because I think I think we can separate this out and say, well, this is a fun maths activity and this isn't. And, and obviously you've given the example of one that might not be. Mm. Um the question underpinning this actually is, is, is suppose, what, what is doing maths? And, you know, mm. was that worksheet actually doing maths? Or was it something else, I suppose? But this is, this. I didn't write about this experience. I tried to and I, and I gave up. Um, but the experience was, this was when I was head of maths at a school in Walsall. Um, it was a year nine class. And I had a lesson where I was doing, doing enlargement of shapes, 2D shapes in area. Yeah, and I was going to use these graphic calculators I was using and, and do something on there because you, you could draw them on there on the geometry and anyway technology didn't work screen wasn't working it was one of those lessons where mm. actually it wasn't going to plan so I just gave out some squares of paper went to my ordinary whiteboard drew the actual dots on because there were no dots on the board yeah. drew I think an L shape stepped back counted the squares wrote a number down then drew one that was under scale factor two. Step back, count the dots. Okay. I don't know whether you wanted to do more or not. I got the pupils doing the same. And there was this buzz of activity as pupils were, you know, drawing their own shapes. They could do their own shapes. It wasn't my, but the, the structure was there. And this lad, I can't remember his name. I'm going to call him Andrew. And um, he suddenly realized that it was the area multiplied by four when he mm. stood. And he actually got out of his seat into this other aisle and literally jumped up and down with glue. <laughs> it yeah. was bizarre. Um, but it was, it was, it wasn't that it was, it was just the math, it was the generalization. It hit him with such force yeah. that it provoked such a profound response in him. It was, it was very unusual, never happened before or since. But the thing about that is it wasn't, it wasn't a worksheet. Yeah, it wasn't particularly exciting teaching. It was the maths itself connecting yeah. at a quite deep level, and that's I think what John Mason calls by a shift in attention. Yeah. Where actually you see something there, and it's quite profound. So that for me is you know, and the question for me I suppose is when you're teaching when when we're teaching a lesson, what is what is the thing? that that needs to happen for that to take place that that's yeah. the heart of it for me yeah 
So you talked a bit earlier about the kind of shift towards this idea of of, of knowledge um, and maybe a almost kind of grad grinding view of facts and having all of that, that, that secure and things. And also many teachers, I suppose, feel nervous about doing anything that looks slightly different or unusual in the classroom because they're they're worried about inspection or they may be even concerned about particularly in primaries there might be head teachers who haven't got an understanding of mathematics education so maybe impose other ways of other ways of working how how do you how do you manage the classrooms in the co-op academy or support the teachers to move towards a way of planning that maybe takes account of these moments of kind that's, of joy and inspiration that's a complex question <laughs> and, and sorry i think, I think it's, about, it's about principles about what, mm. what 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 makes for good teaching um and what matters and constantly talking about those principles so we have done a fair amount of work in into the network meetings on for example, I've talked about the manipulating, getting a sense of articulating structures from structure from the Open University of John Mason, which I find yeah. really helpful. Now, whether that's all translated into what people do in the classroom is a different matter, but it's having those conversations yes. about what, what that might look like. So when you are introducing some mathematics, you're not just presenting it and saying, here you go, kids. Yeah. There's there's a sense in which even if, even if what we're doing is writing examples on the board. Pupils need to manipulate that mathematics somehow. There's got to be something to see. So for me, that's for that to happen, that, that requires taking a bit of a step back from the thing we're doing today to what is the property underlying it we're trying to teach. So, so are we there yet? Yeah, some schools more than others, perhaps, and some, you know, it, it's all a journey, but but it's about having those principles clear, I suppose, and, and building on those over time. Yeah. Yeah. And do, and do you get a sense that that's that that's possible, feasible? I, I'm asking the question because I know there'll be people listening because they say this to me sometimes when I'm doing work with them that say it's, it's kind of all very well, but um, and they're not that, and it's not that they're not convinced by the principles. I don't think it's it's that they're not convinced that they either they can apply the principles or that the principles will lead to the sort of success as it's measured by other other people yeah no i think it is and i think if i come back to that, so i'm going to if i come back to that question from a different yeah. way if i can because so the, the whole the question in my head for a moment because what you're talking about is is that feasible is it possible yes. to teach like this and, day, day, yes. day? and i think the answer is yes yes uh absolutely um, and yes, it's measurable and, and, and does lead to better outcomes for people. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Yes. However, what I think happens is this. Um, people see these as two things. I had a conversation with somebody recently and, 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 and they said, well, there's just too much in the curriculum at the moment. It's not possible for us to do all the interesting things yeah. because we've got to teach. And, and to me, that's a dichotomy that isn't there. Yes, yes. Because actually, like the example with the area today, yeah. I was doing anything interesting. It wasn't anything special, but it was the maths that made sense. But I would argue that had I constructed that lesson differently, I mean, it wasn't very well planned. It was it had a technology crisis. But had that been, here is the rule, off you go. Yeah. There would have been no opportunity for no. No. The, the child themselves to go, well, that's clever. It's like telling a joke and giving away the punchline before you start. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. So. 
this is where this is where um so one of the one of the papers that I I, I refer to is John Mason. So John Mason's really helped me in his, his writing on this because this idea of awareness is really quite helpful to me in this. And and Catenio's view on it is quite helpful to this. Yeah. this so I'll try not to get too waffly because I, I tend to start talking total nonsense when I start. Talking, <laughs> yeah. It's all right. You're not talking nonsense yet. I'll tell you when you do. <laughs> so there's there's interesting because the, the, I'll go back to ZMT for a minute because there's 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 an article in here uh, from Canada. Uh, I think I can't remember. Yes, it's from Canada. Uh, yeah, talking about teachers' acts of distancing, and they are talking about applying John Mason's paper called Enabling Teachers to Be Real Teachers, Levels Awareness and Structure of Attention. And what's really interesting is that there, I read it because actually you'll find I've quoted that paper, not just today in this in this article, but previously yes. as well. It's made a real impact on my practice. But the way they've read it is very different to the way I've read it, which has really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So when they're talking about distancing, they're talk the way they described it in the article, they're talking about a teacher physically distancing them from the child, walking away. And for me, in the way I've read into that article, it's not about that for me. For me, it's about distancing myself from my actions. Mm -hmm. So actually, I mean, I, I, here's the maths I can do. By distancing myself from that, I can become aware of the maths and, and say, well, I, this is how I've explained it, maybe. And distance, distance myself further from that. I can be aware of that choice and the impact of that choice. So for me, it's all connected to this. Mm. So if I'm teaching anything, no matter how trivial it might seem, I need to think about what is the connection that's underpinning this. I was trying to think about this conversation and the example. So teaching sequences. So end mm -hmm. um, server sequence. Very dull. So I've got four, seven, 10, 13. That's my sequence. Okay. So as a as a math teacher, I recognize that sequence quite quickly. I've used it quite a lot in my teaching. It's three N plus one. Maybe I've wrote, mm. learned it by now. I know what it is. I've got some choices about how I work with pupils on that. So a choice I might have. So the thing is, it's, it's a very dull bit of math. So I can give to people the formula, I can show what to do. But actually, how do, how do I make this? How can you make this everyday bit of math sort of um, something that brings that alive? So I've got lots of choices. So I might, for example, say, well, here's my times, like four, seven, 10, 13. Um, it goes to be three. Here's three times table, three, six, nine, 12. That's one thing I could do. And we look at those connections. Um, that's one way I could do it. Or I could enact mm -hmm. it differently. I could say, okay, well, let's say the sequence is. So you say four, and I might say three. And somebody else says seven, I might say six. Somebody else mm -hmm. says 10, I might say, I might say nine. And just step back and watch what's going on. What's happening? And do it again. Yeah. And do it again. And do it again. So again, it's the same maths. I could have a spreadsheet type of thing where actually I could see all the natural numbers: one, two, three, four, and another spreadsheet with all the natural numbers. And I colour in the four and the seven and the ten, etc. I colour another one with a three times table. But you can physically see the shift yeah. there because actually, some again, that's another inaction of yeah. the same thing. Now these are all different ways where, as a practitioner. You have to step back and say, well, what is it I want them to see? I want them to see if there's a shift. I could yeah. do it verbally. I could, I, I could do this call response yeah. thing. Yeah. And I could pause at the right moment, or I could do it visually. And this is what I think it, and the architect was talking about in her piece, where yes. she's saying, I didn't see anything visual in my teaching. Yeah. 
Therefore, I, I can think visually, but there's nothing visual. Yeah, so sequence isn't a visual thing necessarily, but it's just numbers. There's no sort of, there's no matchsticks or anything, but actually yeah. you can see the shift. Yeah. So uh, this is what I mean. That there's always got, there's always a way. Yes. Stepping back, saying, what is the generalizational property here? Yeah. How can I draw attention to it? Yeah. And again, this goes back to variation in yeah. you know, variance. Yeah. What what is it? What can I do to make this really obvious? Yeah, and let the kids see it. Yeah, and and as, uh, that moment of noticing is is, is so powerful, isn't it? Uh, you talked a little bit ago about the about the curriculum and and somebody saying the curriculum's too too full and kind of seeing the dichotomy, the false dichotomy of content versus doing the interesting stuff. And the teachers at my grandson's school actually say, I'm, I'm running a maths club there for them. Yeah. And they sort of said, it's not fair. You can, you get to do the interesting yeah. stuff and we have to do. I said, I'm just doing the same stuff as you're doing in lessons. Yeah. You know, the stuff that I do is in the curriculum. It's not, and it's, it's trying, trying to, it's supporting people to see that, isn't it? Yes. And I think that's to do with their mathematics and maybe their experience of mathematics at school, that they've not had those. those... No. Yeah, it, it's and linked into this, I think, is, is Dave Hughes' idea of subordination. Um, and so he talks about how you're working on this thing, but actually you're working on this thing. I need to say to listeners that Jay currently has his hands held parallel in front yes. of the screen. <laughs> so, so this thing is above this thing with his, his hands. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so sometimes we feel that we need to give people's exercises to practice this thing that they're doing. Mm. But actually, they're not practicing that thing. So I mean, it's no. a really bad example, which I would never, would never use, but it was, it was, a, it was a textbook um, by a, a major publisher. It was on adding fractions for a year seven class. Mm. And the questions were like this, um, one seventh had three sevenths, uh, two fifths had one fifth. Mm. And actually all peoples were doing were adding numbers and what they're being taught is they could ignore the denominators because they had no, yeah. no relevance. Yeah. And so that's an example of an exercise where a teacher might think they're practicing adding fractions, but children aren't practicing fractions, they're no. practicing ignoring the key yeah. facts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and actually adding things they could do when they were about five years old. Yeah. That's what they're practicing. And so, yeah. And so then if that's what you're taking as, as prop practice looks like, then of course what you will do will be boring yeah. and probably not very effective in some cases. Yeah. I just want to read a, a little bit from your piece and I'll explain play why. Um, if we reduce mathematics to reproducing the awarenesses of another, we place a huge burden on learners to commit to memory the methods needed to navigate a city they have never visited by retracing over and again the steps they would need to find their way around the city in the hope they might eventually learn the steps well enough to visit the city themselves at some point in the future. When the classroom becomes such a situation, the only way the learners can experience success is to be told by their teacher whether or not their steps are the correct ones to navigate the unseen city. Such learners have no option but to rely on verification from an external authority that they are indeed memorising correctly. And I, 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 I think that's a beautiful bit of writing and a really useful metaphor, but it also took me back to the Richard Skemp relational and, and instrumental understanding. And it's interesting that, well, I mean, we're deliberately putting the old Richard Skemp articles back in MT because they resurfaced in a, 
a Twitter conversation. And I, I wondered if that was another kind of source of, of inspiration for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's really helpful. I think that thread actually through this MT, particularly through the Richard Scamp article, we talk about schematic learning, the road learning. That, that's there, is it? How do you get, there's a tension, isn't there? Because yes. um, you do need to know stuff, obviously. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. Um, and Colin Foster's piece in an edition or two ago talks about that because you, you need to know stuff and, and some stuff you just know because you know it. But it's about, I tend to think in metaphors um, mm. and for me, it's got to have something. I'm involved in the learning. You know, the, the learner. I, I'm involved in the learning as a learner. And if I'm not involved in the learning, all I'm doing is, mem- is, is memorizing stuff that you're giving me. Mm. So, um, and, that, and that's, yeah. Um, I've got another metaphor on this, if I can share with you, uh, <laughs> which is that another way of thinking about it recently is I, I'm coming into the classroom with, um, in, in this sort of rote version of, of a bag of stones, mm-hmm. and on these stones there's some symbols. And what happens is I, is, is I, is I, I hold up a card with, 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 a, with, a, with, a, with a type of question on, and people see that, and I, I give out this stone. And what they learn is actually, when I hold up this card, you've got to tell what's on this stone. Yeah. Oh, this card tells on that stone. Oh, I've got the wrong card. But if you practice it enough, they will, and they would get the right, the right sort of stone for the right. But yeah. that doesn't mean they've got any sense of how it fits together. The job, no. And 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 this is the whole thing about 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 success, isn't it? What what yeah. is success? Is it is it is it my success? Is it because I get it, or is it because I've held up the right stone at the right time? Yeah. So what what does success look like for you then in terms of the pupils that you're that you're working with? Um, look like's an interesting phrase because you can't see what's in children's heads. Can okay, you? maybe let's say f- so, feel like maybe. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> I think I think there's something about the children knowing that they know it and for me that's because again for me this is this is again about shifting attention so success for me is i have so for my 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 my, my involvement as a teacher so even though it's one of the guiding principles that the power to learn rests with the learner that doesn't mean as a teacher i don't have responsibility i have a lot of responsibility yeah. Yeah. to ensure that learning happens yes as much as I can um so for me I've got to recognize that success isn't the reproduction of what I've just done with no thought mm. success is the ability to do what I just did and that's different but it mm. might look the same yes so a child, you can have two children where one's done the thing you've just done and one's done the thing you've just done, but they get it. And, and, yeah. and it, 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 it's, it will carry over time because yeah. actually over time, the one that gets it, and I'm not, I'm not denying the power of recall and remembering and, and all of that, that's really important, but I can't recall something I don't know. I can't recall that I don't understand. So there's mm. success is somewhere around this idea that actually 
as a teacher, I have gone back in my own knowing and said, okay, what is it that I, what is the key thing here? And I have done something in the classroom that could be pointing and pausing. That could be a bit of chanting. That could be all sorts of things. But what's happened for the learner is they've gone, ah, that's why. That, yeah. That's it. And yeah. why is almost the wrong word? Because it's not like a, a cause and effect necessarily. It's a sense in which something's fallen into place, something's clicked, a light's done, all these metaphors mm. that we use. Mm. It's theirs now. It's their own mm. knowledge. Mm. that's great I, we'll, we'll we'll leave it there it's, that's that's half an hour um, somebody <laughs> said when i started these podcasts they need to be just about a commute i mean maybe they're not quite your commutes but you know, if we take half an hour as a as an average commute uh, i've really enjoyed that jay that that's that's Thank been you. really really interesting it's made made me think i'm going to carry on thinking about that um and to, to everybody else if you've enjoyed the podcast if you found this podcast interesting i hope you listen to the other podcasts they're all on spotify and the apple podcast players if you search for mathematics teaching, you can subscribe. And they're also all on the ATM website, which is www.atm.org.uk. If you're not already a member of ATM, it would be great if you join and then you get five free issues of mathematics teaching every year, every yeah, every year. So thanks very much. And thanks, Jay. Say bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.